Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast. Okay, I am so excited for you guys to hear this conversation. This was one of those conversations where I was just speechless most of the time and I was just soaking in the wisdom. So I got to sit down and talk with Dr. Derwin Gray. He is the lead pastor and founder of Transformation Church. And we were talking about his new book coming out that is God, Do You Hear Me? Let me just tell you guys, you do not want to miss this conversation. The wisdom that he poured out about prayer and just his story and and about God, it was so encouraging to listen to. And I think that you guys are just going to soak it in like I did. So I cannot wait for you guys to listen. And here is my conversation with Dr. Derwin Gray. All right, Pastor Derwin, welcome to the podcast. It is such a treat to have you today. Thank you. It's such an honor to be with you as well. It, it I'm I'm really excited to spend time with you and your guests. Oh, thank you. Well, to get us started, for those that might not know you yet, do you want to take a second and kind of introduce yourself for us? Yes, I am Vicky's husband. We have been married for 29 years and we've been together 32 years. My wife, Vicky, and I met in college. It was second semester my freshman year. And I was 18 and she was 19. Uh, I was in college on a football scholarship. She was in college on an academic and athletic scholarship. She threw the javelin and uh, we fell in love, got engaged and got married in college. And God has been gracious to us. We have a 25 year old daughter named Presley. Uh, She's a college graduate. She's awesome and resilient. We have a 21 year old son named Jeremiah and Jeremiah is a junior at the University of Montana. And uh, he's philosophy major, pre-law, and uh, we're thankful for our kids. Both my wife and I did not grow up in a Christian environment. So for us, really, our God was performance. I think I was the poster child of the American dream. My mom was 16 when she was pregnant with me. My dad was 17. Both of them struggled with various issues. And so my grandparents primarily raised me, but growing up in an at-risk, poor environment, Football became my way out of where I was. Mm -hmm. I really bought into money will fix everything. Because when you grow up without it and TV and culture tells you that it'll solve everything, my goal was to get really good in football, get a scholarship. And maybe if I go to the pros, I could save my family. Now, I wouldn't have used those words, save my family. I would have used words like they just need a kickstart. The money will help them. It, It will. So make a long story short, we, you know, I got really good. I got a scholarship. I got drafted to the NFL. And my first year in the NFL was like, you've got to be kidding me. I've worked this. This is my dream. And it's actually not awesome. My first Mm. year, I didn't I didn't play much. I didn't get along with a lot of the older guys. And it was just rough. And my wife was kind of finding her groove as well. Second year was better. By the third year, I'm a team captain doing some big things. But at the end of that season, it hit me. Everything I've ever wanted and more, but I'm still missing something. I was afraid that if I didn't play in the NFL, who would I be? Because my identity was built on what I did. Mm -hmm. And so when our identity is built on a house of cards of what you do, what happens when those cards bend and break? You're no one. That terrified me. I couldn't love my wife the way she deserved to be loved. My experience of growing up was people who got close to you could hurt you. And so therefore, if anybody was going to hurt me, it was going to be me. People closest to me abandoned me. I felt rejected. So even going into marriage, 
I was still guarded. There were levels of intimacy that I wouldn't allow my wife into because of the fear of being hurt. So if I keep you at a distance, it'll minimize the hurt. But the reality is guarding your heart in a cage only makes your heart harder. Uh, to love and to be hurt is better than to be hurt and to never love. And so there were, I, I didn't love the way she deserved to be loved because I didn't love myself. I couldn't forgive my dad for not being involved in my life. I, I couldn't forgive myself for things that I had done. And that was God drawing me to him, convicting me of like, man, you're broken. Uh, but I had a teammate, his, his name was Steve Grant. Uh, with the with the Indianapolis Colts, but his nickname was the Naked Preacher because every day after practice, he would take a shower, dry off, and wrap a towel around his waist, and then he would ask my teammates, "Do you know Jesus?" Not coming from a church background, I was like, "Bro, do you know you're half naked?" It was like the strangest <laughs> scene. Yeah, literally, like he would he would have his Bible, white towel around his waist, asking guys, "Do they know J Jesus?" Now he was never aggressive, forceful, a nuisance. Uh -huh. He was very strategic, but it was still weird to me. I didn't want nothing to do with Jesus. I didn't want nothing to do with him. And one day I'm sitting in my locker and I hear uh, rookie D. Gray, do you know Jesus? And that began a conversation that eventually led me to discover Jesus. On August 2nd, 1997, in a small dorm room in Anderson, Indiana, at Anderson University, we're in what's called training camp. It's my fifth year in the NFL. And after lunchtime, I'm walking back to my dorm room and I'm just empty. I'm broken. I mean, my bank account is great. I'm famous. I'm on TV. I'm like, what is the problem? And I got back to my dorm room and I called my wife and I, I, I said, sweetheart, I, I want to be more committed to you. Like I was really ready to open my heart and to really love her and to serve her the way she deserved to be loved and served. And then I said these words, I want to be committed to Jesus. And that's literally when I was born again. Like I physically felt when God made me alive with his love for the first time in my life, I knew that I was loved and it was a love not based on how good I was. It was not a love based on people's opinions. It was not a love based on anything other than God saying, I see that you're a mess. I entered your mess on the cross and I died for your sin and I rose again to now live in you and make you the man that I've created you to be. And for three nights after that, I, I just, I just wept. I just wept with the thought of how could somebody like Jesus love somebody like me? Mm -hmm. And it was just utterly astonishing and overwhelming. And I haven't gotten over that since. Um, and my wife actually came to faith through a woman at her job over a cup of coffee. And so both of us came to faith in our mid twenties with no church background. And all we knew was this, if Jesus could love people like us and change us, he can change anybody. And so therefore we want to know him and make him known. And so my wife is my best friend, the love of my life, but she's also my ministry partner, you know? And, mm. and so I'm just, I'm just grateful for her strength. I'm grateful for her intelligence uh, I'm grateful for her love for Jesus. And I'm grateful that she loves Jesus more than me. Yeah. So, okay. Tell me which one of you came to faith first, you or your wife? She did. She did. She Vicky, did. Okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So Vicky through uh, Karen at work, they were having conversations. And then one weekend I was playing football. I can't remember where I was, but she had went to like this old Presbyterian church and she was listening to the choir. Our daughter was really small. And 
All she remembers is that the choir sang, and he died for me. Immediately, she started crying, grabbed our baby daughter at the time, ran to her car, and cried all the way home with, oh my gosh, Jesus died for me. And so she was born again, but I don't think she actually knew it. All she knew, because we didn't know Christianese. We didn't know any of that stuff. It was Mm -hmm. just, oh my gosh, after all that I've done, Jesus still loves me. And uh, then she started wanting to read the Bible. And I was like, all right, cool. So we'd start in Genesis. That was cool. Go through Exodus. Then Leviticus, we were like, eh, let's stop here. <laughs> Don't understand all this stuff. Uh-huh. But but yeah, she she uh, she she came to faith first. Yeah. Wow. I was just curious because I grew up in the church. I mean, I don't remember a time when I wasn't in church or Christian. Mm. And my husband grew up, they believed in God, but they didn't go to church. And then when my husband was 18, his dad was killed in a car wreck Mm. and he had to move home and take over the entire family farm at 18, a week after high school. So he really hated God. I mean, just, wow. and so I had kind of drifted from my faith in college. We got married really young. Our 10 year anniversary is next month. But I remember when I came back to faith and really I just ran back to Jesus. My husband was Mm. so, it caused way more problems. Mm. And I just, you know, that's so hard when one spouse comes first sometimes. But, you know, years and years of prayer, I think five years ago now, me and our preacher baptized my husband. And now he is one of the, I mean, he is one of the most faithful men you will ever find. It's incredible what God does. I mean, you know, and so to hear stories like that, I'm always curious because, you know, it, it can be hard when one spouse comes first. Absolutely. And I would, I would, I would suspect in your audience that there are people in that place. And one mm-hmm. of the questions that I get as a pastor all the time is, well, what if my spouse is not a believer? What do I do? And, you know, if the relationship is healthy and there's no physical abuse or emotional abuse, you love and serve them. You, you pray for them. But the good news is this. Jesus loves our spouses and our children and people infinitely more than we do. Mm -hmm. And so we don't have to save anybody. And if we had to, we couldn't anyway. Jesus is an all-sufficient Savior. He just simply asked us to walk with Him and to trust Him and to pray. And it's amazing when you and your wife, you and your husband just get on one accord. And so I'm so thankful. But yeah, she, she, she was my inspiration. She has taught me how to pray. There's no one that prays more faithfully than her. And so I'm just grateful for her leadership and partnership. Yeah, that's incredible. Man, I have just had goosebumps this whole time listening to your story. That is so cool. So you went from, I mean, not wanting anything to do with Jesus to starting a church, becoming a (laughs) pastor. I mean... That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, you, you know, it, it, when I look back, like God has a sense of humor because number one, I'm a compulsive stutterer. I grew up stuttering my whole life. Number two, I didn't really like to read that much. I would, I would read just enough in school to get by. I would read financial books because I wanted to be wise with the money we made in the NFL, and I'd read my playbook. But when I met Jesus, He gave me just an insatiable appetite to study Scripture to learn about him. And, you know, now I'm like, man, I, I, I've got a doctorate. I have an honorary doctorate. I, I write books and I'm like, only God can do that. Right. And so mm-hmm. in 1998, I signed a contract with the Carolina Panthers. And so that's how we got to Charlotte, North Carolina. And in 1999, both my wife and I sensed that our season of playing in the NFL was over. 
we had no clue what we would do. And one day we got a phone call from a youth ministry in Columbia, South Carolina that said, hey, would you come and speak at an event? And I was like, well, no, because (laughs) I don't speak well. And they really wanted me to come. And I remember being in a shower, just praying to God and crying, just literally saying, God, why do you want me to go speak? You know how painful speaking is. You know, I don't speak very good. And I didn't hear an audible voice, but I sensed the Lord saying, if I can raise my son from the dead, I can raise your tongue to talk, Mm. but you have to go. That's where you see the miracle is when you go. When it looks impossible, that's when you go. And so my wife and our young daughter, we just went down there and I had note cards literally falling out of my pocket. And I shared my story about the naked preacher and Jesus. And afterwards, a bunch of kids got saved and people just started calling me to speak. And my wife is a strategic thinker. So we were like, let's make a nonprofit organization. We called it One Heart at a Time. And so from 99 to 2005, that's what we did. She organized everything. She discipled women as well as men, small groups. And I was traveling and speaking. But then in about 2005, both of us became very disenchanted with the segregation within the church. We didn't understand why. Okay. So we, we understand like black church is a result of racism and the white church, but like, why is there the white church? And why are these churches segregated when she and I didn't know Christ, like we would be up in the club partying like MC Hammer. I mean, like mm-hmm. getting down and the club had every nation, tribe and tongue. When we looked at Revelations 7, 9, it, it looked like the nightclub instead of Jesus's club. Jesus's club was more segregated than the rest of society. And so we began to ask questions. We got bad answers and we just sensed God saying, well, you can criticize or you can create. And so ultimately that led to us co-founding uh, Transformation Church, which is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational mission-shaped community. And so we are 11 years old and God has done absolutely amazing things. And let me be very clear. The goal is not diversity. The goal is the exaltation of Jesus through the gospel. And we believe that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, not only forgives sins, but creates brothers and sisters with different colored skins, that the blood of Jesus forgives and unifies The blood of Jesus makes us right so that we can treat each other rightly. And so, Mm. yeah, and she's been there all the way. We're co-founders. She is an executive director of leadership and culture. And uh, yeah, so that's how we end up planting Transformation Church. It was birthed out of uh, just a desire to see the church in America and ultimately the world reflect what the church in the new heavens and new earth is going to look like. We're not to be colorblind. We're to be color blessed. And so prayer Mm -hmm. is intrinsic to this reality. Well, that's incredible. We want to thank Faithful Counseling for sponsoring today's episode. I am a huge believer in counseling through every season of life, even when things are mostly going okay. I just think it is extremely helpful. And that is where Faithful Counseling comes in. Faithful Counseling will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. They are a solution for people seeking traditional mental health counseling who would prefer hearing from the perspective of a Christian. If you are seeking a mental health professional who is a practicing Christian, then Faithful Counseling may be a great option for you. It's not a crisis line and it is not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. 
There is a broad range of expertise in Faithful Counseling's counselor network, which may not be locally available in many areas. And I know that that is so true for us living rurally. Their service is available for clients worldwide, and you can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You will get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. Faithful Counseling is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is also available. Faithful Counseling wants you to start living a happier life today. You can visit their website and read so many testimonials that are posted daily. Visit faithfulcounseling.com slash boldly pursuing and join the over half a million people who are taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. A special offer for boldly pursuing listeners is you also get 10% off of your first month at Faithful Counseling. Again, just go to faithfulcounseling.com slash boldly pursuing. And once again, we want to say thank you to Faithful Counseling for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so tell me, so you've got a new book coming out and it's God, Do You Hear Me? So what led to this book right now? You know, I know as authors, there's a million topics we can talk about, but what led you to this book? Yeah, you you know, I I believe that the best books are books that flow out of your heart and your core. And Mm -hmm. prayer is like oxygen to the Christian's lungs. Prayer is a divine invitation from God to spend time with him. And so through two plus decades, 20 plus years of praying and studying prayer, what I found is that most Christians, and I say this with humility and a desire to help, is most Christians actually don't pray. What we do is we have superstitious mantras to try to get God to do what we want God to do. And we've deduced prayer to kind of like a... um okay, God, I need this, this, and this. If I say the right things, do the right things, then you'll do this for me. When in reality, prayer is more of an invitation to experience our Father, to align our hearts to His will, not to change His mind, but to change our minds to tap into His mind and His will, right? And and so if you would go back with me 2,000 years ago, Jesus has these ragtag misfits of Jewish disciples. One of them is a tax collector named Matthew. Roman, a, a Jewish culture hated him because he was a traitor. He took taxes from his people to give to the enemy. One was a zealot, which mm-hmm. meant that he cut you with a knife. Like he wanted to overthrow Rome with violence. And and you got all these different disciples and they asked Jesus a profound question that we should ask Jesus too. In Luke 11, they say, in essence, Jesus, we see that John's disciples pray, will you teach us to pray. That is a prayer that God always answers. Will you teach me to pray? And I wrote this book as a response of joining Jesus and saying, not only will I teach you to pray, I'm going to teach you why you pray, how to pray, and what to expect from prayer. And so when you look at the Lord's Prayer, number one, the Lord's Prayer is a mini catechism or teaching on the very life of Jesus himself. Think about about this. The first line says, our father in heaven. Well, no one had a more beautiful, loving relationship with God the father than Jesus. Number two, holy Mm -hmm. is your name. That means that all other gods 
false gods must be toppled and knocked down because there's only one true God and he loves us. And when the Bible says that God is jealous, it doesn't mean he's jealous like people. What he's saying is when you give your heart to lesser things, those lesser things make you less. But when you give your heart to me, I'm making you into who I've created you to be. That's that's line number two. And then it moves into your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what is the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God is actually Jesus. Jesus comes to say, you want to know what the kingdom of God looks like? It looks like saying, hey, bring the little children to me. It looks like Jesus overturning the tables at the temple because Jews and Gentiles were being overcharged and the temple became a den of thieves instead of a house of prayer for all people. It looks like Jesus telling a woman caught in adultery, where are they? They dropped their stones. Mm. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. It looks like Jesus telling the first person in the entire New Testament that he was the Messiah. The first person he told was a Samaritan woman. Mm -hmm. So Jesus, the kingdom of God looks like giving dignity uh, to women that they are co-image bearers in Christ, not second place citizen. It looks like, it looks like Mary Magdalene going to the empty tomb. All the men were hiding. Everything was destroyed. And there was Mary Magdalene at the empty tomb and she meets Jesus. Check this out. The kingdom of God looks like Mary being an apostle to the apostles. It was a woman who went and told the apostles, hey, Jesus is risen. So the kingdom of God is mm-hmm. Jesus. But then it goes on to say, um, give us as they are our daily bread. Jesus is the bread of life. He meets all of our needs, not our greeds. He meets all of our needs emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus is the one who forgives us so that we can be forgiving. And then finally, when it says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God doesn't lead us into temptation. So what's happening here? Well, after Jesus is baptized in Matthew 3, going into Matthew 4, it says, and the spirit led him into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. Why was Jesus tested three times by the devil? He's tested three times because Israel in the wilderness was tested three times and they failed. Jesus is tested three times and he defeats Satan. So Jesus defeats Satan for us. And then through his life, his death and resurrection, he defeats sin, death and evil. So the Lord's prayer, number one, teaches about Jesus. And then number two, the Lord's prayer is God's will for our lives. If you would just entertain me for a moment, just think about this. All the hurt, all the pain, the rejection, the abandonment, the shame, the condemnation, all the stuff that we feel. God, the father says, precious child. Daughter, son, I love you not based on what you've done, but based on my son, Jesus. And the way I love Jesus is the way that I love you. And then he says, I want you to set my name apart. There are going to be a lot of lovers who try to seduce you from worshiping me, but always remember my son. Remember the empty tomb. Worship me so that you can become who you've created me to be. And then it moves us to becoming people who embody the kingdom of God. When we're changing diapers, it's the kingdom of God. When we're arguing fairly, it's the kingdom of God. When we go to work, it's the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, I want you to depend on me as the bread of life. I want you to live in my forgiveness. I want your heart tender. I want your heart tender. I want it filled with compassion. And then he says, listen, and by the way, the devil can't defeat you. Sin cannot defeat you. 
I crucified death on a cross and I defeated Satan when I rose from the dead. The power that rose from the dead now lives in you. This is God's will for our lives. So no matter what you do, that's the heartbeat that pumps the blood and power of Jesus in and through our lives. And so the prayer that God always answers is the Lord's prayer. He doesn't answer the way we want or in our timing, but the way he wants and in his timing. Mm. I don't even know what to say. I am just like soaking in this wisdom that you are pouring out. This is incredible. So I saw that um, it was the Pew Research Center's study that said 79% of evangelical Protestants say that they pray at least daily. God, do you hear me? And that kind of struck me. I don't know. That was a little surprising to me. Mm -hmm. And then you combine that with the fact that I saw the statistic that in March of last year, 2020, that the number of worldwide Google searches for prayer increased to the highest level ever recorded, Mm. which, you know, part of me is like, because people were so desperate, Mm. you know, but also what a blessing that they're turning to that. So I feel like we have such a responsibility maybe to try to, to get past these misunderstandings about prayer. And I think that's, that's what you're doing in your book. So would you speak for a minute to maybe someone who's listening, who's like, yeah, how do we, how do we get past that and and learn to pray correctly or, you know, not yeah. correctly, but so that we're not trying to manipulate God without even yeah, realizing you, you know, it. I, I think the first thing is God is much more empathetic than we understand. Hebrews 4.16 says that, or 4.15 says, we have a, a God who can sympathize with us in every way. Times were hard 2000 years ago. But in our time, we have to be honest about the pandemic has been awful. It has changed life. Mm-hmm. There's so much uncertainty. There's political polarization, uh, 24-hour news. If we indate ourselves with it, it's just weighing and taxing. And this has been a hard, hard season. And people want to know, God, do you hear me? And this is where I want to equip a generation of Christians to say, yes, he does hear you. And there's a reason why Jesus said, pray this way. So the Lord's prayer is not just we say it for verbatim. It's more of a structure. It's more of a framework that starts with our father. And so even in the book, the first section is, well, who is our father? And so we get acquainted with him, that we learn to trust him. And so I'm I'm not at all surprised that people are saying, God, do you hear me? Right. I had no idea before Mm -hmm. we wrote the book. But in counseling and in my own life, that's legit. And so I want to move people and usher people into the presence of God to experience the provision of God, to release the power of God in their lives. Because we pray for God to change our circumstances, and often God is using our circumstances to change us. And what the Lord's Prayer does mm-hmm. is it allows us to learn how to sit. So so let me pause here. There, There is something powerful and mysterious and beautiful about being in situations and circumstances that you see no way out. But yet God is like, precious child, I'm right here with you. I'm right here with you. Every time you call out to me, I'm shaping you. I'm molding you. You may not see it. You may not feel it, but I'm here. I'm present. And it reminds me of the Apostle Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 where he prays and pleads for Jesus to remove the thorn from his flesh three times. And Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. In May 17th, 2004, my wife was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. 
And it was very hard because our kids were young and I'm like, man, am I going to have to preach my wife's funeral? And one of the things that God said is, listen, you may not know how long you're going to live on earth, but you can choose how you live on earth. And death is Mm -hmm. not the end of the story. There's a resurrection that's coming. But before that resurrection comes, there's resurrection power to see you through anything that comes. And so the Lord's prayer is a way for us to tap into the heart of God. And what I love about our God is we have a God who suffers with us. We have a God who says, Derwin, Ashley, Monica, Robin, hey, I know how you feel. But guess what? My truth is greater than your feelings. My resurrection is greater than your circumstances. My power will let you know that nothing will ever separate you from the love of God. And what happens is when we begin to pray, it moves us from thinking about how bad we got it to how great God is and how we can join him on mission to let others enter into the atmosphere of prayer. And it's Jesus sitting down saying, Hey, I want you to, to meet my dad afresh. He's awesome. Mm, Yeah. So what does this look like in our daily routine? How can we bring this Mm, in? Yeah. So the first thing that I I would say is prayer. Number one is a posture of your heart that we are in tune to the presence of God. That prayer is a posture to your of of your heart, that there's an attunement that I'm always praying, not necessarily in words, because a lot of times prayer is silent. Prayer is rehearsing scripture in your mind over and over. So prayer is a posture of, of, of your heart. Number two, I have three set times of prayer, morning, noon, and evening. So every night for the last four years before I go to bed, from memory, I quote Psalm 23, and I pray that for me, my family, Transformation Church, the church around the world, and for people who don't know Christ. In the morning when I get in the shower, I pray the Lord's Prayer for Batum, right? And then at noon and Mm -hmm. then throughout the day, I'm praying as well. So let me give an example of how throughout the day I may pray. So this is an example is I'll say, you know, uh, Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that in Jesus, I see your love, grace, and mercy. Father, today through the Holy Spirit's power, there are going to be many things that try to seduce me and woo me away from you. May you be the most beautiful thing that I see. And may my heart be drawn to you over everything that distracts. And today, Lord, I want your kingdom to come to earth as is in heaven. May my life be a vessel for not my will, but your will. No matter how hard it is, I want to do your will because your spirit in me. And Lord, you know, I've got bills. Lord, you know, I got to buy groceries. Lord, you know, I got to pay for college. Lord, you know, I got to pay student debt. Lord, you know, I got to pay rent or mortgage, but you're the bread of life. So I'm going to trust you to meet me emotionally, physically, financially, spiritually. I trust you. And Lord, I want to thank you for the forgiveness. I want to thank you for the power of the blood, that the blood of Jesus makes me righteous. It makes me your friend. I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so may my heart in this world stay tender. This is a hard world. May my heart stay tender. May my skin be thick and may my hands be compassionate. And Lord, I want to thank you that on the cross and in your resurrection, I'm no longer a slave to sin. I no longer fear death because you're victorious. I can walk in your victory and I choose to set my heart and my mind on you. Lord, I pray this for me. I pray this for my family. I pray this for my loved ones. I pray this for my church. I pray this for the church around the world. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. 
I just, we've talked about prayer a lot on this podcast and we've talked about, you know, different aspects of prayer, but I just can't tell you how much I think the prayer that you just prayed is going to touch people and and help them. Because I know I hear a lot that people are just like, I don't know what to pray. Mm -hmm. I don't know what I'm supposed to pray for. I don't know how to pray. And I just, I think this is just going to hit so many people. So tell me when someone reads this book, what is your biggest hope for them walking away? Yeah, my biggest hope for them walking away is, um, I, I don't know if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, but I've been to the Grand Canyon of Yellowstone Park and you walk around a corner and you just see this gorge and it's beautiful. The first time I saw it, I literally went, <gasps> and I put my hand over my mouth because I was in awe. My prayer is mm-hmm. that when people read this book, that they would go, <gasps> I had no idea that Jesus was this beautiful. I had no idea that prayer was not only a command, but it's a divine invitation to have intimacy with God. Intimacy is into me, you see. And when we see God, we see who he wants us to be. And it's all by grace. No more striving, no more trying, simply resting and saying, God, your will be done. And then thirdly, I want to see a generation of people pray. Um, I want to see women in Bible studies by the thousands reading this book and praying and teaching their friends and teaching their family that it's a, that it's, you know, the same way that COVID has gone viral negatively. I pray that God, do you hear me goes viral positively and that the prayers would rise to the throne of heaven and that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would look down and go, Oh my gosh, listen to these prayers. My children believe that I still part the seas. That's my hope. Mm, I got goosebumps when you said that. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Well, oh, this conversation has been so good. Thank you for just blessing us with that. Would you tell everyone lastly, where can they find you on social and where can they go grab the book? Yes, you can. You can find me on IG, Twitter, Facebook at Derwin L. Gray. That's Derwin L. Gray, G-R-A-Y. You can hit me up at DerwinLGray.com. That'll take you to Transformation Church and also to the books. Um, go to GodDoYouHearMe.com and you can order the book. Also, Lifeway is selling God Do You Hear Me at a 50% discount. That's right, 50% discount. And so if you feel led by multiple copies, start small groups at your church, start small groups at college, start small groups at your job. Let's create a generation of people who know the why of prayer, the how of prayer, and the expectation of prayer. And let's watch God change us collectively. Oh, so good. Well, thank you again so much for coming on today. Thank you. You're awesome. Keep up the great work. 